As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The VanCast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. We record this in Pittsburgh. Canucks still out on this six-game road trip. They are heading home. And December is full of home games, so uh, all kinds of opportunities to get your hands on Canuck tickets, and the best way to do it is by using GameTime. The GameTime app is simple, it's quick, it's easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. We have moved on from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh. It's turning into an eventful day as we record this. J-Pat and Drancer sitting in the PPNG Paints Arena, home of the Penguins, where the Canucks will play stop five on this six-game road trip. The team is here. Let's see if their offense arrives, because uh, other than Nashville, that's become sort of the theme of this road trip. But my goodness, Drancer, we, we should be doing this outside. Like, it feels like a June day. We should be at the ballpark instead of the hockey rink. You know, this was one of those weird trips that you have to pack for multiple climates, right? Dallas, it was 20 degrees. I mean, we are walking around talking about how we should be in shorts, right? Here, it's, you know, I expected it. You know, I bundled up. And I bundled up partly because I've been hovering on this long road trip at, like, exactly 50 pounds. And every time I've gone to the airport, I've had to take, like, my toque out. And that apparently gets it underweight. And I'm told that I've now protected the safety of my fellow passengers in the aircraft itself by removing my toque. So, you know... The, so I packed heavy today, and, and walking over here, I, I, you know, I'll admit, I was, I, was starting to, I was starting to sweat a bit. I took my hat off. I took my scarf off. I mean, it's a beautiful day, and we've been really lucky with weather. It's been a lot of nice days on this whole road trip, with the exception of, like, one rainy day in Philadelphia, and even that cleared up more quickly than we anticipated, and you didn't get drenched at the Seahawks game. No, but I did 
put myself out there in the elements, and it was bloody cold. Upper deck, Lincoln uh, Financial Field, exposed to the elements, and it wasn't even the, the outside temperature was fine. It was just the wind that cut right through you. Uh, but yes, we've moved on to sunny Pittsburgh, and I'll be sure to touch base from Edmonton as you uh, go on and on about this great weather that uh, uh, your trip's about to end here. I'll carry on and wrap things up in Edmonton against the Oilers on Saturday, but you talk about working up a sweat. I do think that Travis Green has to be working up a little bit of a sweat just because as good as the Canucks were in the 2-1 shootout win in Washington and we praised them and people were raving about, man, like even for a low-scoring game, like that was a hell of a hockey game and, you know, the two goals came in the first period and that was it, but there was still so much in there to unpack and you kind of thought, look, they got a result against the best team in the NHL, stood in there, slugged it out with the Capitals you know, that they would be fired up and ready to go and try and duplicate that against the Philadelphia Flyers. But as 2-1 hockey games go, those two were about as far apart on the spectrum of entertainment as you can possibly get. Well, you know, about the halfway point of the Caps game, I was, I was getting ready to begin to bury the Canucks, not for a lack of effort, not for anything, but that their two-way play has just fallen off pretty significantly over the past two weeks and until then they'd been one of the best teams in the league in terms of controlling play and generating you know those gaudy shot attempt differentials that had people like myself sort of beginning to describe this team as as one that's genuinely genuinely has a shot to be good genuinely has a shot to be uh, elite in terms of their offensive production and you know what sort of has happened here over the last couple of weeks and and I don't know if it's just a you know, an accumulation of injuries. I don't think they've had enough injuries that you could say that's sort of a reason for their struggles. But, you know, as you begin to lose more and more guys, as you play Zach McEwen in your top six, as you sort of, you know, have to make some tough decisions elsewhere on the roster, play Tim Schaller on the third line, uh, you know, have Louis Erickson and um, Tyler Gravak with... I'm going to say that name once eventually. It's in the NHL pronunciation guide is Gravac, so I learned it wrong. And I, I'm just one of those guys. Once I learn something, I can't unlearn it. And uh, and then Vertanen. I mean, that's just not going to get the job done, especially with what the Canucks were enjoying in terms of their fourth line play earlier this season. So, you know, for me, there's a lot of focus on that five and five five-on-five offense but for me that's luck driven like they're shooting such an abysmally low percentage and still generating an above average rate of looks and chances that that's something for me that I don't even sort of blink at like that's just what happens over a seven game sample Um, you know you would have called Dallas one of the worst teams in the league if you judge them off their first seven games of the year it happens to teams over a a relatively short run of a form what I'm sort of con- more concerned about is just this atrophying ability to control games. And aside from the second half of that Caps game, we just haven't seen this team, you know, step on throats the way they were in October. And, and I think that really came to a head against Philadelphia, where, you know, a pretty capable two-way team, one, one of the league's best, you know, through that Couturier-Provorov pair, they, they played those two together as much as they could against Vancouver's top six forwards, and they just completely stomped them. Like, it was a lights-out performance from the Flyers defensively, and it just seemed like Vancouver couldn't hit their fastball. To me, that's got to be a concern, especially with the way Vancouver has gone toe-to-toe against some of the league's best two-way clubs and and held their own. That was kind of the first time we really saw them look, get bodied, essentially. In Washington on Saturday, the Capitals scored two minutes into the hockey game, and I'm thinking, "Uh uh-oh, like they had lost to the Rangers in their previous game, and I thought they may just run the show, and... 
you know, the Canucks pushed right back and Pedersen scored the one-time bomb and, you know, that was it for the scoring. But I, there was a response, I thought, to the good start for the Washington Capitals. You know, in Nashville, in that third period, like the Canucks couldn't get the puck. They couldn't touch the puck. In Dallas, remember the Stars scored a minute and a half into the hockey game and the coach's challenge overturned that goal. So the Canucks essentially got a do-over, right? Like they got a chance to hit the restart button and didn't do anything with it. And eight minutes in for good, the Stars were up. And I kind of felt like last night in Philadelphia, you know, Canucks opened the scoring, played a decent kind of sleepy road period, but, you know, checked a lot of the boxes for a road team in the midst of a long road trip, get out of the first period, it's one nothing. You know, the Flyers then turn up the heat in that second period that kind of resembled uh, the home period against Nashville a couple of weeks ago where the Preds were all over the Canucks, third period in Nashville as well. And there were some warning signs to me in that second period, and I kind of go back to the start in Dallas. Like, I looked at the second period in Philadelphia as a chance for the Canucks to get to the break and think, all right, it's 1-1, you're 20 minutes away from grinding out a result here, but you're going to have to be a whole lot better in the third period than you were in the second and they were pretty much as bad in the third as they were in the second period. And so right now they don't seem to be able to sort of learn from their own mistakes. And uh, that's troubling to me, like even without going deep into numbers, it's just sort of this visceral response. I mean, the Flyers were all over them and I expected more from the Canucks in the third period and we just didn't see it. I mean, they again hung Thatcher Demko this time out to dry. You know, I think about you know, the, the famous line from The Untouchables, right? You don't bring a knife to a gunfight, right? And with Couturier and the Pedersen line, right, we're talking about two of three lines in the entire league that are 58% plus by uh, shot attempt differential, you know, 65% plus by XG, like every underlying metric and, and actual goal differential suggests that those are two of the top four or five lines in the sport. And... After the second period, you know, with the Couturier line really hard matching that Pedersen line and the Pedersen line having generated just one shot, to sort of come back and, and keep Pearson on that line in the third period, you know, forget bringing a knife to a gunfight. It was like bringing a knife to a nuclear standoff, right? It was just not enough. And, you know, I think that does say something about where the Canucks are in terms of their high-end depth. You know, I think in terms of credible credible or high-end top six forwards and and you know I have a lot of time for guys like Tanner Pearson and Josh Levo who I think have done more than their bit over the past 26 games and are, and are a big reason why the Canucks have exceeded my expectations still despite the form of the last two weeks to this point but you know in terms of those high-end top six guys and you know they just don't win without Miller and Bo Horvat, the uh, Bo Horvat, Pedersen, and Besser kind of going, and you know that really showed. I think with Couturier just eating everybody's lunch and you know stealing their money and, and on and on all over the ice against Philly. So you know it's it's going to be a, it's going to be a crucial game against a Penguins team that's almost as good defensively, if not sort of you know without that sort of high end matchup guy anyway. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, we always think of the Penguins and the Stanley Cup years and the high-end skill, but I was looking at it earlier today. I mean, there's only four teams in the league that have surrendered more goals than they have. Like, they're getting it done defensively right now, certainly without Sidney Crosby. Um, you know, you talk about matchups and, you know, sort of who's filling out the roster on those top 
six spots for the Vancouver Canucks. I, I did think Travis Green was slow in the third period last night to, you know, he reunited the lotto line with about six minutes to go. I, I think I, I mean, we saw McDavid and Dreisaitl play four minutes of five minutes of overtime the other day. Like, there are times where you just simply have to ride your horses and, Look, there's no back-to-backs until the weekend, so it really shouldn't have been a fatigue issue, and it wasn't like these guys had expended a ton of energy, although I guess defending maybe does wear you down with as much defending as they did. But I also didn't like uh, the deployment when the goalie was pulled. It's still a one-shot game at that point. It's a 2-1 hockey game in Philadelphia. Canucks hadn't generated really anything to that point. He essentially has his big guns out with two and a half minutes to go. They change. They pull the goaltender at that point, and then you've got Pearson, Levo, Goddad. I think Miller was the other forward out there. But, you know, as much as you want to give credit to Pearson and Levo for their work rate, I mean, let's be honest, right here, right now, goals aren't going for either one of those guys. And so I was a little surprised that they were out as long as they were with the goalie pulled. It wasn't until they got a... I mean, Levo had a decent chance with, like, 17 or 18 seconds to go. But, you know, then the lotto line guys and Horvat came back for the final... 18 seconds. I mean, they didn't really give themselves a chance to operate six on five. Yeah, you know, I mean, in terms of so many things this club's doing, right, like generating one of the league's best penalty differentials as a team and, you know, controlling play, playing really disciplined within that 1-2-2 and, uh, you know, the improvements on their forecheck. I mean, there's so much that Green has implemented this season that has worked out better than, you know, you could have imagined. Uh, You know, for all the talk that we had about Quinn Hughes starting the season on the second power play unit. You know, you wake up yesterday and he's leading the entire NHL in average power play ice time per game for defensemen, right? Like This has been a, a good run for Green, but yeah, I don't think that was his best game by any means. And, um, you know, so it goes. And, you know, one thing that I think is sort of worth remembering, I mean, this road trip, right? We've been eyeing this road trip as a crucial stretch. Like the expectations were go 500, right? It's just survive. You just look to survive a stretch of the schedule like this. So the Canucks are entering game five. They've scored two even strength goals in their first four games. And in Pittsburgh, you know, on Wednesday night, they're going to have a chance to go to Edmonton with a chance to go four and two in the event that they win, right? Like this is 500 for now, but a win tomorrow. And they've set themselves up to really have had a strong trip so you know it's uh it's amazing that it's you know almost a chitty chitty bang bang situation like the wheels are falling off you know things are taped up with scotch tape right like it's it's uh you know a a joke it's a red green car and and yet somehow this team's found enough points they found enough from their power play just enough from their goaltenders that they've actually managed to tread water at least while you know things have been tough and It'll be interesting to see. I mean, they got to respond from that Philly game because for me, like, forget the 6-1 loss to Dallas. I know that scoreline is more embarrassing. I know that scoreline's the sort of thing that dispirits a team. But for me, that Philly game, 17 shots, five of them point shots from Jordy Ben. I mean, goodness, like, it's, you know, it's just not enough. Like, you just cannot, you just cannot hold, you know, you cannot look at that game. You cannot watch the tape and think we did anything resembling enough to be competitive in that game, regardless of the fact that they, you know, were tied with seven minutes to go. Right. And so the response for this team that has really only scored in the Nashville game and at that five power play goals is roster 
moves. And so here we are again. Nikolai Goldobin has returned to the fold, and we'll see how they utilize him and where he slots in. But he's been recalled. Sven Berchi, who got a look, didn't do an awful lot with his opportunity. He gets sent back down to Utica. McEwen survives for now. Grayovac. Because to me, the Jay Beagle situation, you know, every day as we go here and Beagle isn't available, I, you know, I, I'm not sure where it's going to go for him, but that's going to give Grayovac a little bit of job security because he's a centerman. But interesting that it's Berchi that goes back to the farm and Nikolai Goldobin is back in the National Hockey League. Yeah, and I, you know, I wonder based on. Vancouver's top of the lineup struggles against Philadelphia. You know, I wonder if we're going to see him get put back with Pedersen for, you know, at, at rushes right now. I mean, if you're looking to fatten your lineup, right, you can sort of reunite that Pearson Miller Horvat line that we haven't seen play together since game two, but that had two excellent games against the Albertan teams out of the gate. Um, you know, and then, and then your third line, you are able to look at something like. You know, Levo Godet Sutter, if he's ready to come back, um, you know, that sort of becomes something, a, a line you might feel comfortable being able to, you know, make, do some damage in terms of playing on the forecheck. And, and then you've got some options for the fourth line, whether it's McEwen or Gravac or whomever, right? And so I wonder if we're going to see them, I wonder if we're going to see them try and fatten their lineup with Goldobin. Um, but, you know, obviously I talked to Goldobin a couple weeks ago. He was very emotional about being in Utica. Um, you know, he's hungry. Like, he's just hungry to get another shot in the NHL. He thinks he belongs here. There are numbers that indicate he does. I don't know if his two-way play is going to be at the uh, the level that's going to keep him in this lineup with a, with a Travis Green coach team. But, you know, if his, if his work rate, if he brings that work rate, he's obviously got the skill set to complement Patterson. We've seen it in the past. And... You know, it's uh, certainly a worthwhile gamble and just a tremendous opportunity for him uh, on the Berchi side. I mean, that back check in Dallas, we've talked about it. And, you know, he's had a pretty good Canucks career. I mean, he's been a good player through some tough years. He's been through a lot personally. You know, he's always been open and honest with the media. I think the fans always have responded to him. But, you know, it, it kind of has a feeling like this was maybe the end. Like, this feels a little bit different than when he was cut the first time this sort of feels like something that maybe maybe this is a bridge too far for for that relationship between player and org and and it'll be curious to see how that one plays out here with you know a year and 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 then another one remaining on his contract did you say goldie's hungry to be back in the national hockey league did you say hungry is <laughs> I that did. i did hungry i like that yeah. when a segue comes to me just so naturally because if you're i'm just glad it's not roman and i didn't say he's prepared to play hard yes no <laughs> no no let's stick with hunger for this time uh, long day at work, tough day at school, still stuck in the office. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city or even out on the road. You can take advantage of DoorDash as well. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code CANUCKS. $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code CANUCKS. Don't forget... The promo code is CANUCKS for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. We talked a little bit about Levo. You wrote a lot about Josh Levo this week, and I just want to go there for a sec because he's having a fascinating season, and we've seen it on this road trip, the work that he's able to do on the boards, and nobody's ever going to question you know, the effort level of this guy, and yet 
the bottom line is that there is no bottom line. Uh, stuck on two goals, but he has to have some help. I mean, he made a great play in Nashville, one of those power play goals. Uh, you know, and so I, I do want to give credit where it's due, but it's funny, I was looking this morning. Uh, he's one of three forwards in the National Hockey League that has more than 50 shots on the season and has two or fewer goals. Connor Brown and Craig Smith are the others. So he's in a select company of guys that aren't putting pucks in the net. And yet this is a big year for him. It's a contract year. You wrote about that. You talked to a lot of the people that will uh, ultimately have a say in you know, where it goes from here for Josh Levo. But like, I know that you remain high on him and his contributions, even if there isn't sort of that tangible takeaway uh, to his hockey game right now. Yeah, it's one of those things too, right? Like the shooting percentage part of it, right? I mean, Josh Levo hasn't played a ton of NHL games, but he's played 150 plus. And, you know, in the AHL anyway, he's like a 12% shooter. And in the NHL level, he's traditionally been a 9% shooter. So for me, the fact that he's got 50 plus shots and is shooting 4% is like a good sign. You know, that's like, well, he's going to, that's going to change, right? That's not something I look at as an indictment of him, which, you know, I, I know that's counterintuitive, but uh, that's kind of how I see the game. And, you know, I think Josh Levo's played really well. I mean, when I look over the, when I look, when I watch his game, it matches what I'm seeing in the data, which is always when I sort of, really begin to believe it you know uh and in levo's case you know the the way that he wins battles along the wall the smart plays he's able to make in transition his ability to support teammates on the rush right and and he does that close support thing like he's often there to quickly poke a puck out of a wall battle without getting engaged in it himself i think he's got a really good stick for that um, and i think he's really clever about how he uses it and those are the kind of complementary pieces that really really help you win games and and sometimes winning games isn't sexy and it's not about the top prospect or the flashiest name it's about your guy who just does those little things right and and sort of helps you control play and levo's one of those guys in my view and and both by the eyes and by the numbers when i consider to his production and, and i you know sort of went off on this on twitter because people were like oh he's never gonna hit 40 points and it's like well he's also not really playing much on the power play i mean i know he got a look at pp1 but that never made sense um you know in this in this league you're talking about about 150 skaters or, or 4.5 a team who will hit 40 points in a season and all of them do it on the power play like there's very few guys and so you know essentially you have a situation where most teams have four in the case of Vancouver, or five top six caliber forwards, and then you kind of find guys who complement them, you know, those digger types um, who can do the job, but who aren't necessarily driving the, the bus offensively. And, and to me, Josh Levo is like a perfect example of a guy who can be that. And, you know, if he hits 35 points here, I mean, I think that's a tremendous contribution, especially with the work that he's doing on the forecheck and the work he's doing along the wall and, you know, the overall two-way value that he's bringing. I mean, those are sort of core... Um, you know, crucial things that he's provided and, and that the Canucks have lacked in recent years, right? It's it's a big reason they're more imposing is that they have these guys, bigger bodies along the wall, Miller and Pearson and, and Levo, who are really playing well. And, you know, when I look at that and when I sort of see it, and then, and then in terms of his contract situation and what I wrote, just to come back to it quickly, I mean, the variation in these guys, right? Like the a guy like Marcus Sorensen in San Jose, who's similarly got a limited track record, just signed a two-year deal, three million total, right? Ryan Dezingle is a genuine, like, 
point five, 40 point. You want a 40 point middle six forward, like he's your guy. He scored at point five points per game rate over three years with the Ottawa Senators. And, you know, only two years, seven million, right? Brandon Tanev, who the Canucks will see, Chris's brother, um, you know, he's not a scorer, but he's an elite penalty killing guy and he's one of the fastest skaters in hockey. So he got six years and 21 million despite scoring less than 0.3 points per game. So obviously the sort of intangible qualities that make this up go well beyond scoring in terms of overall contract value. And because of Levo's lack of track record, it makes him very difficult to peg. Ultimately, his contract value is going to be so tied into the Canucks' success, which is kind of what makes it an interesting story from my perspective. And so far, I think he's been a big part of what Vancouver's done. And, and I think he'll continue to be. But I also am aware that he's always going to be polarizing, in part because a player like Jake Vertanen is a sexier name for Canucks fans. Obviously, he's got the draft pedigree, the local kid. Um, and also because I don't think people understand what is a reasonable expectation from a middle six forward in terms of that production. You know, people are like, oh, well, if he doesn't hit 40 points, he sucks. It's like, no, if he hits 40 points, he's one of the best middle six forwards in the league. And I'm not saying that Josh Levo's that. I'm just saying he's useful. It's funny because I was looking at it the other day. Um, you know, the Canucks have these four lead horses, obviously, Pedersen, Besser, Horvat, Miller, and they're all off to decent offensive starts. And then there's the drop-off that you touched on, and, and that's sort of commonplace. And so I just I wanted to see what Tampa looked like last year, right? Like Tampa led the National Hockey League in scoring. And I know, and, and I know they didn't work out for them in the playoffs, and so it's not the perfect model, but... When you want to see what an elite scoring, regular scoring, regular season scoring team looks like, just take a moment and go look at Tampa's statistics from last year, and you get the sense of just how far a team like the Canucks still has to go here to even, like, again, they've got guys that are profiling and trending in that direction, but, man, like, I, I was stunned. I guess I had forgotten sort of, like, just how stacked that Tampa team was. So I built I built because I'm the biggest nerd, right? Like, what readers read is two sentences about comparables for UFAs, right? But what I'm doing to lead up to that is I'm building a spreadsheet with every Group 3 UFA who's signed with under 500 games of NHL experience over the past three years and then sort of breaking it down by a variety of different metrics so that I can sort it and see which comps are relevant and on and on. And there's two players who effectively broke my model because they had played so few games and had scored so many points by the time they, you know, hit 150 games, 200 games. And it's Yan Gord, right, and Jonathan Marcheseau, both coming through the Tampa Bay organization, right? Just the way that that organization is able to find and capitalize on talent from sort of odd places. And, and they have that guy in the AHL in Syracuse right now who's an undrafted free agent from two years ago in the queue who's also lighting it up. I mean, it's just like this conveyor belt of, of, of talent. It's unbelievable. I mean, you think about Palat, um, you know, seventh round pick. Tyler Johnson, undrafted. Like, it's not like they're converting. In fact, they're not converting on their first round picks, right? Brett Connolly, Slater Coco, like on and on down the list. Like, that's not where they've made their money. They've made their money on undersized guys well off the NHL. I mean, it's a it's a pretty incredible trick that Iserman, Brisebois, Vinick and company pulled off over the past five, six years. It's a remarkable testament to just how savage this league is that they haven't been rewarded with a Stanley Cup. I want to touch on a couple of things here before we go. One is, I mean, I feel we have to devote a moment or two to that sequence in overtime in Washington since we last recorded. And... Um, 
I mean, there was just so much to unpack in that one play with JT Miller trying to uh, nutmeg TJ Oshie and losing that battle, and then off to the races went Oshie, and we've seen TJ Oshie, you know, be the hero in one-on-one situations against goaltenders, but Miller, with a little help from Quinn Hughes, able to get back of the back check. Then the puck winds up on the stick of all people, Alex Ovechkin and Jacob Markstrom flashes a glass. It was an incredible, like it really was an incredible 10 to 15 seconds of overtime. Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, I love that Alex Ovechkin tried to alley-oop pass to himself, right? Just like Bure had, right? The play that he was so proud of that he also didn't convert. One day, someone, probably Hog, Hoglander based on, <laughs> based on his social media account, which makes him seem like the most interesting man in the world, whether he's on a unicycle or doing a Michigan. But, uh, you know, I loved that he tried that. Alex Ovechkin is amazing. Just like what a gift to the hockey watching public. It's, it's incredible. And the Oshi, Oshi speeding away. So I loved, you know, the reaction from Caps Media because I'm writing it in the armies, right? And I talked to TJ Oshie at practice the day before, and he, he gave me some notes. He spent some time skating with Troy Stetcher and Brock Besser. They're all UND alums uh, back when they were in college, and he had you know some interesting things to say about his impressions of Troy Stetcher as a young man in terms of his shiftiness and how he thought that would convert. And he gave me some great stuff on Brock Besser's shot, which I may use later, but I had a note written for the Armies. It's just that too much happened in that game. I had to lose that 500 words, right? Well, we could have really used it if the game had gone like it had in Philly, but so it goes. So so, um, you know, I talked to Caps Media and I said, did Oshi speak after the game? And they go, no. And I go, oh, that's weird. Like, I feel like we would have asked about him for sure. Uh, you know, how, oh, how did you get caught there? And on and on. And, uh, and I go, oh, that's weird. Like, uh, you know, I, I figured you guys would want to talk to him after he got caught. And they're like, no, we all expected that. He's not very fast. And I was like, really? Like, I, I guess I kind of don't know that. You know, that's one of those... You think about him just destroying goaltenders, faking to his backhand and just pulverizing five holes. Like, you, you don't think about that, but I guess as age has caught up to him a bit, he's kind of survived on that skill game. And, you know, that's what the Caps can do with their familiarity. In terms of the push, Quinn Hughes is a genius, right? Because he didn't just push him. He pushed him, so he fell over just the right amount, right? Like, it was perfectly calibrated. And I love Hughes being like, oh, I did that all the time in Michigan. Like... Nah, it's nothing. It's a simple play. I just pushed his butt. You know, like, I just loved the way that he underplayed it because it was so savvy and it was unique. Like, you don't see that that far up the ice. You don't see that occurring in that decisive a way. And, you know, I, I just think the way that he saw it, the way that he saw it as a simple play and, and a push on the butt, I mean, hilarious. Quinn Hughes is so funny, and I do think he is so special and at such a weird level in terms of what he thinks of, what he tries, what he even attempts, what he's able to do, uh, that, I, that I think some of it eclipses him. I think it comes to him pretty naturally just from all the reps he's had with his, with his siblings and with his family. Um, you know, I, I don't even know that he has, has the, that sort of like mature grasp of, of just how special some of the things he sees, thinks of, and is able to execute on a nice surface um, are. All right, and lastly, and I thought this was perfect for the armies in Philadelphia, the game, the way it played, how sort of boring it was for most of the night, that you devoted a good chunk of the armies to hockey hair. And not just any hockey hair, but this had to be brought to light. Because, and I think some people realize that 
during his playing days. Travis Green had a nice flowing mane, but it is sort of one of the underreported stories in hockey is the ability on the hockey DB page to click on the headshots and sort of get a historical run uh, and like pick a player that's been around for a while. We were having some fun during the game last night. Uh, there are some great ones, but Travis Green with the mullet through the years. Uh, yeah, you just you did a nice job, I thought, of just kind of laying it out and bringing it to the people. Well, thank you. I, we'll see. I haven't seen Travis yet today, so I'm I'm not looking forward to his reaction. To be totally honest with you, but you know, look, I'm I'm one of those guys who. I don't knife people in the back. I, I like to stab them in the front, right? So if I'm going to write something that pokes fun at anything about you or, you know, what have you, right? Like before I published the Levo piece, I went up to him and, and said, you know, I'm writing this piece on your contract status. Just want to give you an opportunity to react. Like I'm always going to give a person, especially when you see him every day, the opportunity to be prepared and to, you know, discuss it with you if they if they decide to defend themselves. So after that dispiriting loss yesterday, I took Travis aside briefly and I just said, have you seen your hockey DB page? And he said no. And I pulled the photo up on my phone and he was just like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. I, I have a job to do. Like, I don't have a lot in the can tonight he's like no i understand and that was that he didn't care uh but we'll see i uh you know <laughs> i'm genuinely wondering what his reaction is going to be um at the end of the day you'd rather have that mullet that tennessee top hat than uh than my skull cap so um hopefully uh hopefully it's not a big deal once we uh once we get into the availabilities uh shortly here well, we'll see how the Canucks uh, fare against the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll record another VanCast later in the week for our VIP, so make sure to check that one out. In the meantime, if you're looking for the latest on the Penguins, you can check out the penultimate podcast from Pittsburgh. Sean Gentili, Rob Rossi, Josh Yohe of The Athletic, uh, they share all their thoughts on what's going on with the Pittsburgh team that's playing well in the absence of Sid, who's out probably to the new year, so that's a disappointment. Uh, the, the Canucks won't see Sidney Crosby this season because uh, Pittsburgh is in Vancouver uh, right before Christmas, so they play twice here in the span of a month, and uh, Canucks will not see Sid, and Canuck fans won't see Sid uh, either this year, but uh, the Pens still going along, as we said a little earlier. They're getting it done on defense and on the back of Jared McCann. Uh, we'll see how McCann faces his former team and what uh, the Canucks have in store for him as they try to respond from the lethargic performance in Philadelphia as they get ready to take on the Pittsburgh Penguins. For Drancer, it's J-Pat as always. Thanks so much for listening to the VanCast here on The Athletic and theathletic.com.